From Share Profits, brought to you from Wales by 30 Yards, this is the Share Profits Radio Show, episode 28, for the 16th of April, 2020. Here's your host, Tom Winifred. Hi, this is indeed Tom Winifrith. Uh, this is indeed the 28th edition of Share Profits Radio coming to you from Wales, albeit by only 30 yards. I, I apologise for the fact that there hasn't been any edition of Share Profits Radio for a few weeks. Uh, blame coronavirus. We can blame it for more or less anything, can't we? Uh, you may say, but uh, you work at home, Tom. You uh, uh, don't have an office to go to. Your daily routine hasn't altered. Well, my daily routine hasn't altered that much, uh, but I have added complications. My wife uh, has not been going to work for some time, and I don't think will be going to work for some time. So she's here seven days a week, 24-7. Uh, we both have one or two uh, immune issues, so we're pretty much self-isolated. Uh, and have been since even before the, the wider lockdown. Uh, you can work your way around that sort of thing, uh, but having a three-year-old son is another matter. Normally for three days of the week, uh, uh, he is at nursery, and uh, one day a week he's with his mother, uh, and I can get on with my work. That's not the case now. He's here seven days a week, 7-7, seven, 24-7. Seven, it is, of course, a true delight, and uh, I'm very lucky to have that time with him. But it does somehow get in the way of doing your work, certainly putting together a long podcast like this one. I will start on coronavirus. My own views on uh, the outbreak, uh, the pandemic, and on the reaction of our government and other governments to it are not exactly mainstream. I view the actions of the political class, supported by almost the entire media establishment, uh, and egged on by a mob led by uh, new experts in epidemiology like uh, Piers Morgan, uh, uh, as being a fantastic example of what my late uncle Christopher Booker wrote about, that is to say, groupthink. Uh, I don't believe that there is any scientific data uh, to back the policy decisions taken by the government, uh, and I think that they are profoundly misguided. They will not reduce the number of people dying in the UK during 2020 in a meaningful way, uh, and they will. Uh, they clearly have already uh, uh, delivered uh, a crushing infringement of our civil liberties, and more importantly, perhaps, uh, they have devastated the economy. Uh, if you want more on my own non-groupthink views on coronavirus and the government's response, I've done a series of articles and podcasts on this matter, which you can find on my personal website, www.tomwinifrith.com. The uh, economics are, are, to me, fascinating. Uh, the government's uh, own experts came out with data earlier this week, suggesting that if the lockdown is extended by uh, uh, for a total of three months, then British GDP could, in the second quarter of this year, fall by 35%. 
more than a third knocked off the gross domestic product of the UK. I'm not sure that the lockdown will be uh, uh, will last for three months, but we're a month in already, and I suspect it may well last for two. The damage to the UK economy will be profound. The government admits that we're going to take a, a, a material knock in the second quarter, but its view, uh, and one which I think is also being supported by Goldman Sachs, uh, uh, is that the British economy and the world economy will enjoy a V-shaped recovery. That is to say, GDP collapses in the second quarter, uh, but rebounds pretty quickly and we're back to where we were before. Uh, and it is that view which I think, I believe, has fueled the rebound, the pretty dramatic rebound in share prices since the lows of a few weeks ago. The stock market always looks ahead. It looks well ahead. Uh, so uh, when share prices completely collapsed and when the FTSE went down well below 5,000, uh, it was looking ahead and anticipating a doomsday scenario of everything going completely wrong of businesses, small, medium and large, collapsing. Bang, 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 bang. All sorts of businesses collapsing. It was suggesting that there may have been a banking crisis, that banks would go bust, that everything would go bust. There would be mass unemployment. Uh, we'd all be using food banks. It was taking a very, very uh, 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 pessimistic outlook. And that's what it was expecting for the, UK, the economy to be in 12 months' time. Since then, we've had governments around the world uh, uh, turning on the printing presses. We have quantitative easing uh, to infinity. Uh, and we have government spending, uh, which is just unparalleled, being promised by governments across the West. Uh, the bankrupt Eurozone, the British government, the American government, uh, to help with fiscal prudence. Uh, at the end of it all, government finances will be in one hell of a mess we are in completely uncharted waters. But there is a feeling that with all these initiatives, uh, that the economy is going to make a dramatic recovery. I think that's wrong. And that's why I wouldn't advise brushing into stocks. Of course, there are some bargains out there. Uh, I will talk about uh, 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 one particular stock, one that I own a little bit later on. Um, there are some stocks out there which you should be buying. Uh, it's worth discussing what they are. But overall, uh, I don't believe that equities present a compelling buying opportunity because I don't believe that that recovery will be V-shaped. Why? Well, firstly, the global economy was slowing even before coronavirus. There were real cracks appearing in the global economy. Uh, governments, companies, individuals across the world are uh, overextended. They have too much debt. They've got even more now, uh, but they had too much coming into the, in, into, uh, the coronavirus epidemic. They were in a weak place, and that was causing a slowdown in global economics. That was one of the reasons why there was already a slowdown in global economic growth. So we started from a weak place. The trend wasn't exactly helpful even before coronavirus. And that's why any talk of a rebound, you can have a rebound if the economy was in great shape before coronavirus. It could bounce back, but it wasn't. Not in this country, 
not in America, uh, certainly not in the Eurozone, and not even in India and China. In India, there were, there were very real problems even before coronavirus. So the economy not, was not poised to make a great recovery, and then coronavirus came. Will there be a dramatic recovery? Well, let's just look at the United Kingdom. Uh, by the end of next month, there could well be well over 3 million people unemployed in the UK. How quickly are they going to uh, find new jobs? Well, I suggest not very quickly. Quite a lot of them will work for firms which have simply gone bust uh, during the shutdown. Uh, all those little restaurants, coffee shops, pubs, uh, leisure attractions, all of those businesses, <clears throat> well, some may survive, but a lot won't. They will have gone bust. Uh, what happens during an economic uh, snarl-up, a uh, slowdown, is that cash becomes critical. Companies don't pay their suppliers. Uh, customers don't pay their bills. And whatever the government tries to do to ease this, there will be uh, companies which just face a cash flow crisis. They can't pay anything. They might be able to persuade their landlords to defer uh, uh, rent bills. They might be they can defer their VAT until June. But in the end, these bills have to be paid and the companies just can't manage it. So there's going to be quite a lot of companies which will go bust. So they won't be able to offer jobs back to the unemployed immediately. And then there are going to be the companies which have somehow survived. Possibly they've survived uh, because of government loans or because of the government furloughing scheme. And they're going to come out of it and they're going to be asking themselves, hmm, well, do we really need to take back those staff? We've been operating on a lower cost base during the times. Do we really need to go back to full staffing levels? And I suspect that in many cases the answers will be no. Moreover, they'll be facing uncertain demand. There's going to be all those people who've lost their jobs. Uh, there are going to be people who've lost money from their stock market investments. There are going to be people who've lost money from their investments in uh, residential real estate. There are going to be all sorts of people who are cautious about their money. And then there's going to be a lot of people who are cautious about going out. Uh, folks like me with a mild immunity issue or, or my neighbours who are in their late 70s and early 80s, we've been told we've got to stay at home for three months. Now, you could end the lockdown and you could tell us that the local restaurants in the village are open, but I'm not sure that we're going to be rushing out to go there. It's going to be a very tentative recovery. And that's going to mean that uh, companies which had de-staffed will be very slow to restaff. Indeed, I suspect there will be some companies who will find that demand is so poor that when the tap of government aid ends, they actually go bust. They furloughed the staff. The government had paid their wages during the lockdown. They reopen. There's no more government support for their staff. They have to pay the staff's wages themselves, and the demand is just not there. And therefore, they go bust. And there are more people added to the unemployment lines. In the end, of course, I do believe in capitalism. So I expect that the economy will reinvent. There will be people who spot in opportunities. Investors will go in and start new businesses. They'll buy up their old bankrupt restaurant and reopen it. But it's going to take an awfully long time. 
uh, I've commented on share profits in my Bearcast. Uh, the phrase Luke Johnson uses is the animal spirit. It's the animal spirit which makes us all take risk, whether we are investors buying shares, entrepreneurs starting up and growing businesses, uh, homeowners uh, taking out a bigger mortgage to buy a bigger house, or just ordinary consumers taking the risk of taking on more debt uh, to go and buy uh, an even bigger flat screen television. We are all, uh, in doing that, we're doing so because we have the animal spirit. What has happened uh, over the past six weeks and will happen for a few more weeks to come will crush an awful lot of animal spirits. And therefore, I don't believe that there is going to be a rapid recovery uh, in the economy. Uh, sure, the economy will bounce back from that 35% fall in GDP. That's inevitable. There will be a bounce back. There'll be an initial bounce back. But thereafter, getting back to where we were before isn't something that's going to happen in a few months or even in a year. I suspect it's going to take many, many years. And during that recovery process, there is going to be a lot of pain for those people who can't get jobs, for those people whose houses are repossessed. And of course, if you have 3 million unemployed, there are going to be a lot of people who won't be able to pay their mortgages. You're going to have a glut of properties coming on the market, which is going to depress uh, uh, the value uh, of houses across the land. It's going to see house prices fall. So there's going to be a lot of pain and suffering during that period. I do wonder uh, whether uh, the uh, uh, lives saved by the government's policy, and I, I think we won't know the true number of lives saved by the government's policy until the end of the year, and we compare the total number of deaths in the UK in 2020 uh, with the total number of deaths uh, in the UK in prior years. Uh, this is an argument you can see in my podcast on my own website. But at the end of the year, we'll be able to make an assessment about how many lives were saved by the government's economic policy, or the government's policy on coronavirus. I do wonder whether the saving will be material. But I suspect that the poverty, uh, which has been caused by the government's economic policies, uh, is also going to cost a lot of lives. We've seen it before in recessions. People who lose that animal spirit, they can't get a job. They're worried about money. They're fearful their house will be repossessed. You see a massive rise in depression with people just slobbing in front of the television, eating unhealthy food. Uh, that has clear health implications too. You'll see a rapid increase in the number of suicides. You do in any economic downturn. I often reflect on the history of my family uh, and uh, uh, its experiences during the Great Depression of the 1930s. There was a suicide then. Uh, my uh, grandmother's uh, father bought a house in 1928. Uh, that was an appalling decision with hindsight. He took on a mortgage and he, uh, the house only recovered to its 1928 value in the early 1950s. So it was an appalling decision, and it coloured his thinking about life uh, for many years, and he passed that on to my grandmother and grandfather. Uh, my grandfather's business, rather obscure business, uh, uh, was that he was a herald at the College of Arms. His name was Sir Arthur Cochrane. And uh, the herald, herald business is a pretty cyclical business. When times were booming in the 1920s, 
uh, all sorts of people were desperate. Uh, people who were nouveau riche uh, were desperate to go and get a family coat of arms designed. They went to the uh, heralds, uh, and uh, heralds made an absolute killing. In the 1930s, in the Depression, there was very little new money around. No one really wanted to waste money on getting a new family coat of arms. And so my great-grandfather, Sir Arthur's income, declined precipitously. The family circumstances were very, very, uh, I think, comfortably off, but they were grossly changed in the 1920s, uh, from that in the 1920s. They struggled uh, uh, to, to, to keep the house that they lived in. Uh, uh, they lost money on that, uh, and there was far less money going around. Now, there were other things which made uh, caused unhappiness in that family. Uh, uh, the untimely death of my great-uncle, who fell down a mountain, uh, uh, David Cochran. Uh, but there was also uh, a suicide, his younger sister. Uh, she killed herself. I think there was some depression about David. But there was also clearly, having read uh, uh, family journals and talked to my father about this, there was clearly uh, a sense of melancholy in the household because of their uh, very, very greatly changed financial circumstance. And they were not alone. That happens in every uh, downturn, every recession. Uh, and I think you will find uh, that the number of suicides, if we're right about it not being a V-shaped recovery, the number of suicides uh, will go up uh, pretty dramatically uh, over the next 18 months. I digress. Uh, the economics uh, uh, of what is happening uh, are profound. Uh, the stock market is assuming a rapid recovery in the economy. I don't think that will necessarily happen. And that is why I would advise you not uh, to be buying shares in an indiscriminate fashion. Uh, there are selective opportunities, and I will go through a few of those in another section in the podcast. But overall, it's very much a time to be cautious. Don't assume the best possible outcome. Don't assume that we'll get back to where we were before coronavirus anytime soon. Share prices may be assuming that, but I think the stock market has got it a little bit wrong. I hope you enjoy what comes uh, uh, to follow in this, the 28th edition of Share Profits Radio. Uh, it is brought to you for the time being uh, for free, uh, and I can uh, we can do that thanks to the sponsorship of Open Orphan PLC. I'm a shareholder in this company. I'm delighted to say that these shares have done jolly well. The last I looked, they were around about 8p. Um, it is a company which actually is getting a windfall uh, from uh, coronavirus. And I think it could be a meaningful windfall, but that's not the core of the business and it's not the core attraction. It is profitable in its own right and fundamentally cheap. It would be fundamentally cheap even without coronavirus. Coronavirus is just a one-off boost. If you want to know more about what I'm talking about, I suggest you listen to edition 27 of Share Profits Radio, where I talk to Open Orphans uh, uh, Chem, uh, my friend Cathal Friel. Uh, uh, they're the sponsors of this show. If you want to do listen to that interview, follow the company at Open Orphan. Um, I believe the shares uh, will be into double figures pretty soon. Uh, I'm hoping that the company will start. Uh, there will be a broker note on the company shortly, giving us formal earnings guidance. Uh, and that, I, have, I believe, should trigger 
at more of a re-rate. Anyhow, I'd hope to be selling my shares at well over 10p and before uh, uh, not uh, uh, having to wait too long for that opportunity. So thanks to Open Orphan for sponsoring this show. Uh, now it's time for a short break uh, and I'll be back with uh, uh, a few other thoughts on what to buy and what really to avoid uh, in a minute or so's time. Welcome back to the 28th edition of Share Profits Radio. I can't remember which podcast it was uh, in which I did talked to Anthony Laker of Vela Technology. Uh, Anthony is also my stockbroker uh, and has been involved in the city for even longer than I have. I think I'm coming up for the end of my 31st year. Anthony probably heading for 40 years in the city. Uh, one of the things we talked about in that particular edition of Share Profits Radio was how few people trading shares today, buying or selling shares, how few analysts working on the sell side in the city and how few fund managers out there managing our money uh, can remember uh, past stock markets boom and bust. How many people uh, were around, were involved, were at the heart of the dot-com boom and bust bubble? I was there. I remember uh, working for a dot-com, which was listed on a complete fraud, of course. I wasn't management. It was a, it was a financial website. Uh, uh, and uh, its business model was completely crackers. And the management team stole all the money. I tried to be a whistleblower. It was my first time as a whistleblower. That was back in 1999, 2000, 2001. Uh, and I was able to do that. And I was in my 30s. Uh, but I guess that uh, I'm now 53. Uh, you probably have to be in your 40s or 50s uh, uh, to remember uh, 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 exactly what went on in the dot-com boom and bust uh, and what happened afterwards. As to previous crashes, I can remember the crash of 1987. Uh, I was uh, involved uh, uh, in finance in 1986, 1987, before I went to university. And I'm 53. So how many people who are involved as fund managers, sell-side analysts, or investors uh, can really remember what happened back then? I suspect relatively few to really remember a bit. And Anthony was involved. He was working in the city at the time. Uh, uh, to really remember it, you have to be in your late 50s. Why do I mention this? Uh, the dot-com boom and bust was uh, a fascinating time. People made a lot of money, and nearly everybody then lost it uh, uh, afterwards. Back then, Piers Morgan, who I mentioned uh, in part one of this show uh, as leading the mob with the coronavirus groupthink, back then Piers Morgan was the editor of the Daily Mirror. The Daily Mirror was a paper. It was the paper for the working class. It really treated stocks and shares with disdain. But Piers hired two bright young uh, fellows, Arnold Boyrell and James Hipwell, uh, to run a column called The City Slickers, where they tipped spivvy small cap shares. Well, that was bad enough. Uh, but what James and Arnold started doing was buying shares in some pathetic, wretched, worthless piece of crap company uh, on one day 
tipping it in the newspaper the next morning. And as the shares absolutely roofed it, uh, 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 selling into that uh, uh, spike and making uh, a substantial amount of money. Piers Morgan, uh, of course, also got in on the game. He bought large numbers of shares in a company called Viglan uh, 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 the day before. Uh, Mr. Boyle and Mr. Hipwell tipped it. Uh, Viglan's shares roofed it, uh, and Morgan sold out at a clear profit. Annell and James both have criminal records as a result, uh, and Morgan somehow got off and didn't. He should have had a criminal record. What he did was utterly wrong. Uh, why do I mention that? Just to show how crazy times can be. The idea that the Daily Mirror could be moving share prices. Absolute insanity. Uh, I doubt it will ever happen again. No, of course, it will happen again. People forget. We make the same mistakes time and time again. One of the advantages of being older is that you can look at the mistakes people are making and say, hang on a second, I've seen this all before. Don't make those mistakes. Why do I mention this? Because the one uh, sort of subsector which has had an absolutely brilliant first few months of the year are companies involved in either vaccine development uh, or diagnostic testing. Uh, whatever the companies were doing back in November is kind of irrelevant. Uh, however, uh, piss poor their financials were in 2019 is viewed as completely irrelevant. All the companies need to do is to say that they are working on a test for coronavirus, either for the antibodies or the antigens. doesn't really matter. Uh, they say they might launch, or indeed they have launched, uh, or they're working on a launch of a test, or they're working on a vaccine, and the shares absolutely roof it. Uh, why do I say I've seen this all before? Because I have. I've seen this in the dot-com world. I've seen this in, in, in other things. Uh, 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 well, it's exactly what is happening and exactly what will happen. For starters, uh, there will be some of the companies who are saying that they are working on a test or a vaccine or a cure or whatever, who know full well that they will never, ever, ever develop one. They're just spivvy promoters, criminals. Back in the 1990s, uh, 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 the disease uh, uh, which was uh, uh, cutting swathes through certain sections of society was, of course, AIDS. And there were a number of companies uh, which promoted their, uh, their shares incredibly aggressively uh, on the back of the idea that they somehow would have a cure for AIDS. Uh, there was uh, a company called MediRace, which went on to become Mediva, at one stage valued at uh, uh, close to a billion pounds. It was run by a shameless Australian promoter, Ian Gary Smith. Ian Gary Smith held up a test tube at a big event in London when MediRace was a tiny little company. He held up a test tube and he said, inside this test tube uh, are some AIDS viruses. And the audience of old duffers were quaking. Ah, ah, don't let us get anywhere near it. But don't worry, we've put in a compound. Ian shook the, shook the little file around and see, we've killed the AIDS virus. We may have a cure for AIDS. Oddly enough, uh, uh, Mr. Gary Smith 
didn't discover a cure for AIDS, but it didn't really matter. Uh, the shares went through the roof, and MediRace was allowed to uh, issue, uh, was able to use its paper to do a whole load of deals, uh, and the rest was history. There were other companies that behaved in an equally disgraceful way. So one of the warnings I'd give you is that some of the companies which are making great claims about their ability to tackle the coronavirus uh, in, uh, or to aid the fight against the coronavirus are just shysters uh, and they are, will be found to be lying. The second point uh, is that uh, whilst some companies will do very well in 2020, I would bet you that they won't do well in 2021. The ones that will do well in 2020 are those which have already developed a test for uh, coronavirus and where they are in a position to roll it out pretty aggressively. They will get a windfall business in 2020 because the WHO is telling us that we must test, 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 test. However, will that be repeated going forward? Uh, I don't believe that it will be uh, for two reasons. The first is uh, my personal belief uh, is that the coronavirus uh, will cease to be an issue. It will become a much, much smaller issue from 2021 onwards. I believe that we will pretty soon discover that rather large numbers of us have already had the disease. And in most cases, most people who get the disease survive. The vast majority survive. And as uh, uh, more and more of us uh, go into that category, uh, you will get increasing herd immunity. Therefore, the uh, R naught, the speed of transmission, will go down. The number of people that each victim infects will go down and it will become less and less of an issue. And therefore, demand for testing is likely to fall. That's point one. Point two, and it could fall, you know, to really very low numbers by 2021. Point two is, even if that doesn't happen, what you will find is that uh, companies may make an absolute killing with the tests they sell in the first part uh, over the next couple of months. But that will merely spur on other people to develop novel tests. We've already seen a raft of UK listed companies saying that they are on the verge of creating or have created a test for coronavirus. That is just quoted UK companies. There are large numbers of unquoted UK companies which are working on the same technology. And what is happening in the UK is being replicated across the world. So there are companies in China, in South Korea, in France, in Italy, in Spain. There are companies in Israel. There are companies in America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, everywhere. There are companies working on tests for coronavirus. Some of those tests may not work, but I would assume that quite large numbers of them would. In other words, a test for coronavirus will pretty soon become a commodity product. And therefore, the margins which companies can make from uh, these tests will end up being pretty small. Uh, commodity products don't, uh, get mar don't have high margins. And how do you think that relatively small British companies are going to fare in what will become an increasingly competitive market? Uh, until the market uh, uh, becomes, because the, the virus ceases to become a major issue, until the market becomes a small one. So for all sorts of reasons, I would expect that 
uh, 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 some, but not all, of the quoted British companies which have seen their shares go through the roof will enjoy a windfall 2020. Some, most will not, but some will have a windfall. But thereafter, when coronavirus goes away, sure, 2020 will be good. The company will hope, these companies will hopefully have netted a few uh, million quids worth of cash. But 2021, business is back to normal. Uh, the business of these, of these companies, the EU sales, the profits, uh, won't look like the 2020 windfall year. They'll look like they were in 2019 and before. And uh, that is something that people are kind of missing. They're assuming that, A, all of the companies will be winners. That doesn't happen. People made the same assumptions in the dot-com world. You just need to mention that you were a dot-com and your shares went through the roof. All of them. People assumed that every share would be a winner. That's what happens when you get uh, the madness of crowds. People assume every single, assumed in 1991, that, uh, 1999, every single dot-com stock would be a winner. The reality is nearly all of them failed. And people make the same assumption about companies developing coronavirus now. So, A, you have this assumption they're all going to do very well. And B, even for the ones that do do well, and I don't know which are going to be the winners and which are going to be the losers, and neither do you. But even for those who do do well, you cannot value them on a multiple of 2020 profits. Uh, you need to say, what sort of cash could they make in the current year? Put that, park that in one corner. What's the company's net cash position now? That Park that in a second uh, corner. And then say, what are the profits likely to be in a normal year, i.e. 2021, which is pretty similar to 2019, give or take a few million. And value the rest of that part of the business on a multiple of those 2021 profits. Uh, let me give you a case study. There's a company called Novasite. Its shares have gone up from bugger all to a peak of just under five quid. Uh, last I looked, they were just under five quid. Uh, and at about that level, the market cap is 200 million quid. In 2019, the company basically at a cash level broke even. Uh, it might have made a small profit uh, or generated a small amount of cash, but nothing to write home about. It was a pretty unexciting company. Now, it does have a test for uh, uh, coronavirus and it's working with a number of companies, Eugene, GlaxoSmithKline, uh, uh, AstraZeneca, Cambridge University. It's working with all sorts of people to roll out the tests. I am absolutely prepared to accept uh, that uh, Novosite will make a good killing in 2020, if you pardon the phrase, uh, from rolling out coronavirus tests. I'm prepared to accept that. What sort of profits, what sort of cash will it generate from its tests in 2020? I don't know. Uh, it could be 5 million, it could be 10 million, it could be 20 million, it could be 50 million. Let's be generous. Let's say it's 50 million. Uh, I, I very much doubt it will be. Uh, in fact, I'd be absolutely certain it won't be. But let's just humour me and say it's 50 million. Now, the company had sold all cash at the start of the year. So parts one and two of our valuation are 50 million. Now, I don't think it's going to be anything like 50 million, but 
I'm humor, humor me. I'll humor you. I'll humor the supporters. And then you've got the core business, excluding the coronavirus test. Well, it basically broke even last year. And probably it, if you exclude coronavirus work, it will basically break even this year and basically break even or make a small profit next year. Value the rest of the business as oh, God, 20 million. I'm being generous here. 20 times uh, 1 million cash generated. I know, I'm being exceedingly generous there. What does that tell you? You've got a sum of the parts valuation there of 70 million. And that is exceptionally generous. I'm making exceptionally generous assumptions about A, what sort of profits the company can make ex-coronavirus in 2020 and 2021, and B, about the amount of cash that it can generate from this one year, this one bonanza year uh, on the basis of coronavirus. I make those incredibly generous assumptions, and you come to the conclusion that the company should be valued at 70 million. Uh, the current valuation is 200 million, uh, so uh, just under four quid. That's telling you the shares uh, should fall by two thirds. Uh, but that's on the basis of my incredibly generous assumptions. I suspect the amount of cash generated this year is going to be nowhere near 50 million. Uh, and therefore, uh, uh, one could say that uh, uh, my uh, suggestion that the shares would fall by two thirds uh, is blindingly optimistic. They should fall by far more. But of course, uh, I've warned about Novosite, both at the top at five quid, but also at much lower levels. At five quid so far, I look like a hero. My warnings at lower levels, I look like a zero. This is the nature of a bubble. Uh, shares can go up and the valuations crackers. They can become doubly crackers or trebly crackers. No one really cares. And for a time, no one asks any questions. Uh, the problems occur uh, when people do start to ask questions. And I don't know what will trigger that event. I don't know when it will happen. Perhaps it will happen when the company is forced to say, give some idea of the cash it's generating from coronavirus. Perhaps it will be when coronavirus ceases to be an issue. There will come a day within the next few months when there will be no deaths one day from coronavirus in the UK. And deaths will be at a very low level. And people will say, what was all the fuss about? I don't know what will cause it to crack, but at some stage the share price will crack. And then with no fundamental shares will absolutely collapse. But it's very hard to call the absolute top. It could have been that five quid was the absolute top. Uh, and my call of a couple of days ago was, was absolutely brilliant. Uh, but it could be that the shares recover from just under four quid and go even higher. One doesn't know. But it is very, very dangerous to buy shares in these companies because you can turn around after a few days and find that you've lost half your money. Uh, or more, or worse. Uh, it, when things get bleak and the bubble really pops, then you find that a lot of these companies have rather unwisely spent money which they didn't really have on the assumption they'd be able to raise money in the market. Uh, but there is no uh, ability for them to do it and they simply go bust. That was the experience that I lived through as the dot-com bubble burst. I would slightly contrast that uh, Novosite with Open Orphan, the sponsors of this podcast, where, of course, you know I'm an enthusiastic uh, shareholder. Open Orphan's core business is nothing to do with coronavirus. The difference between its core business uh, and that of Novosite is that the core business of Open Orphan 
is going to, is as as we speak, I believe, profitable at this stage. It is long established. It is been a, 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 a result of a merger of two companies, Open Orphan with uh, HVivo, uh, and the business is materially profitable as we speak, and is going to make a material profit this year and a growing profit next year. It has a laboratory in Whitechapel in London, an isolation unit, which right now is seeing massive demand. It is, uh, its 24 beds are full uh, for people uh, being tested with various products. So it's doing great business now, but that is just a bonus. I don't really count that towards my valuation of Open Orphan. I value the business on fundamentals, which is why I believe the shares will be uh, well over 10p soon. That is just on a multiple of normal profits. If there's a windfall gain from uh, our coronavirus, well, that is a bonus. But that is the way that you should be looking at such stocks. What would they be without coronavirus? Because the windfall gains here are likely to be very much one-year gains. Of course, with Open Orphan, the isolation unit can be used uh, uh, to test uh, drugs on patients with a whole range of diseases. So it always has some occupancy. Right now, of course, it is incredibly busy. But I contrast the two and I warn you that uh, all of these stocks, Tizania Life Sciences, uh, I can't remember the names of them. You just see them fleeting by and the shares double or treble over the space of a couple of days. Uh, all of these stocks are going up on hype, uh, but this is a bubble. Even in the face of a stock market crash, can see bubbles. Uh, and uh, 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 I would be warning you not to get involved, as it will inevitably end in tears for nearly all uh, investors. Right, time for another quick break then. And I'll come back with just the odd stock that you may consider buying. Uh, in these tough times. Hi, and welcome back to the third part of this edition of Share Profits Radio. Before we go on any further, uh, there are two things I'd like you to consider. The first is, if you're interested in the stock market at all, uh, I'd like you to keep May the 8th in your diary. That's May the 8th, 2020, just a few weeks away. I can't say why just yet, uh, but I should be able to say why within a few days. But keep it free, May the 8th, a date for your diary. The second thing is if you enjoyed this edition of Share Profits Radio and you're not a subscriber to Share Profits, I think you need to join. It costs you just five ninety nine a month to get full access to Share Profits, which means you get a daily podcast from me, my Bearcast, uh, where I talk about issues like valuations, crazy bear, uh, bull market valuations, bubbles. I expose fraud and wrongdoing. We also run nine articles a day, uh, sometimes more. It was ten today and yesterday, uh, uh, other than Bearcast. Uh, sometimes we look at buying opportunities. There have been some great calls on the website recently, not by me, of course, but by some of my colleagues. Uh, more often, we look at fraud, lies, and over-promotes on the market. Anyhow, it's all good value, and just five ninety nine a month. Uh, what can you get for that? Uh, half, a, half, half a roll of loo paper at some uh, 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 price-gouging corner store? 
absolute bargain. So sign up for Share Profits now and keep May the 8th free. Uh, those who do listen to Share Profits will know that, much to my great surprise, I discovered that I had an old pension from my time at the Evening Standard, which was then part of the Daily Mail group. I was only there for a couple of years, and I had completely forgotten that I was involved in the staff pension scheme. Uh, I remember at the time thinking, what's the point of doing it? I'm not going to be here for that long. And indeed, uh, I wasn't there for that long. Uh, but I did sign up. And at some stage last year, I discovered that I had a really very big sum uh, uh, in my pension, uh, somewhere uh, uh, almost uh, uh, into six figures. It's been a complete and utter nightmare transferring it from the Daily Mail General Trust final salary scheme into my own SIP. Uh, I've had to pay an IFA, some spotty 23-year-old, uh, to give me uh, the benefit of his wisdom uh, as to whether I was making the right call or not and what sort of returns I could hope to get from investment. Thank you very much, Mr. 23-year-old. I've only been doing this for 31 years, but I'm enjoying paying you three grand uh, for your expertise. And I've had to go via another company, uh, James Hay, put it in a sip there and try and get it into my own sip. James Hay are the most incompetent bastards on this planet, and the process has taken far longer than it should have done. Uh, I suppose I should be grateful uh, had I got the money when I should have got it uh, five or six weeks ago, I might have invested it in the stock market pre the coronavirus crash. Uh, on the other hand, I'm a bit pissed off that I didn't get it two or three weeks ago when I could have invested in shares uh, at the lows. So I suppose it swings and roundabouts. Uh, the question is, uh, now I have a pension which is pretty cashed up, should I be investing the money in the stock market now or should I be waiting? Uh, you will remember, if you're still awake, uh, that in part one of this show, I explained why, on balance, I thought the recovery in the market was pretty uh, uh, pretty full and that there were a lot more downside risks than upside risks. And that is indeed true. Having said all, I suspect that the responses uh, of the central banks and the governments to the recession caused by the government's response to coronavirus rather than coronavirus itself, uh, will have unintended consequences, or maybe it's intended consequences. Uh, printing money on an unprecedented scale and reducing interest rates to zero, quantitative easing on steroids, uh, can in the long run only result in inflation, the devaluation of fiat currencies. Now, I'm not like some people like Peter Schiff predicting that we're going to have a new Weimar, uh, but certainly we are likely to have material inflation. Perhaps think back, I don't know whether it'll be as great as it was in the 1970s. I had a debate with uh, a listener to Bearcast. Was it under Labour or the Tories in the 90, that inflation peaked in the 1970s? I had always assumed it was under the Labour Party. Uh, my reader said, no, it was the fault of the Tories. Actually, it, it was under Labour. Uh, in early 1975, that inflation peaked. Uh, my reader argues that that was largely the result of policies under Ted Heath, of whom I'm no great fan, um, and this, uh, yeah, so it's all Ted Heath's fault. But I'm not sure I, I buy into that. Merely assertions from people like Dennis Healy as if Ted Heath's fault is not the same, the same as saying it was Ted Heath's fault. 
Uh, and inflation did actually dip after Labour came to power in February 74, but then went up again. So I think it, it's fair to say it was under Labour. Anyhow, will we get inflation of the level we had in the 1970s, 25%? Well, probably not, but it is just possible. Uh, what is happening is unprecedented. Certainly, there will be inflation, and that is likely uh, to be manifested in another uh, asset a period of asset bubbles. That is, after all, what happened uh, in the period after the great financial crisis. We had quantitative easing, near zero interest rates, and we had asset bubbles, bond prices, uh, the prices of shares, house prices, the prices of fine art, of um, fine wines, fine whiskies. Uh, fine women, all of these things, asset bubbles, they went up. And I suspect we may have the same again. Uh, that, of course, would be positive for share prices. Uh, 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 and it would probably be better to hold shares than cash. So maybe on a sort of 24-month view, there is a case for being fairly bullish about shares. It is not in my nature to leave a large amount of cash in my pension earning absolutely sweet FA. It will be invested. And probably about half of it will be invested in certain small cap situations uh, where I just am convinced that I am right. Uh, uh, largely optibiotics, but also uh, R4E, uh, which, which I admit is a, is, a, is a binary player. It could go bust or it could be a multi-bagger. Uh, 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 we shall see. But uh, So some of it will go into small caps, which I would regard as special situations. And I would not be advocating uh, that you think about uh, uh, punting your, your, your life savings on small caps. Uh, the rest of it, however... Uh, will go and will be dribbled into the market into selective uh, bigger companies, FTSE 350 companies. And I think that is probably where the safe value lies now. Uh, I'm drawn, uh, uh, oddly enough, with oil at uh, down at uh, $20 and possibly going lower, uh, to uh, either BP or Shell. I haven't quite made my mind up. BP is slightly better placed to, to weather a lower oil price than Shell. I always rather preferred Shell as a more conservative play. It is perfectly possible uh, that both will cut their dividends or will offer script dividends if the oil price stays at around $20 or indeed goes lower uh, for more than six months. Uh, but I suspect that looking at the yields currently on offer, that is already largely discounted in the share price. Indeed, I reflect back to the early 90s when I was working as an oil analyst. And at that point, the last time BP, or was it the time two times ago that BP cut its dividend, having fought to maintain it, the news of the dividend being cut actually saw the shares rise. Uh, I take the view that whilst the oil price is in the doldrums now, it won't stay there forever. Uh, the reason it won't stay there forever is because high-cost producers will be bankrupted. Production will be taken out, uh, and eventually the world economy will recover and demand for oil will go back to the levels pre of pre-COVID. It may take two years, but it will happen. And uh, <coughs> Excuse me. It will happen. Uh, and at that point, oil companies will be doing very well. Uh, and on that basis, I'm prepared to take a long-term view that I should have some exposure via either BP or Shell, and I can't work out which. Uh, if inflation becomes an issue, and I'm sure it will do, uh, I can see the gold price continuing to head sharply higher. And therefore, I look at a number of gold plays. I think my favourite is Sentiment, 
Uh, just because I was around there when Centrum first launched on AIM, I suppose there's some sentimental value. I first tipped the stock at 7p, uh, uh, eventually telling readers of uh, the publication I then ran uh, to sell at £1.36. It was one of my better tips. Uh, the shares are now uh, under a quid. The yield looks safe and uh, 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 is attractive. Uh, and it doesn't look to be trading on too high a multiple uh, of earnings. It operates uh, a very attractive asset, Sukari, in Egypt. Now, of course, there are risks. There is a risk of a COVID shutdown if uh, coronavirus gets out of hand in Egypt. I don't think there's any sign of that yet. Uh, I hope it's too hot to be an issue there. Uh, and then, of course, there is the political risk. Uh, Egypt is not exactly East Surrey, and that is always a risk. Gold is from God's little jokes. Gold always tends to be found in places which are politically uh, uh, risky, uh, uh, and that is the big danger with sentiment. But sentiment uh, is a company I'm looking at. Uh, there are uh, other gold plays, but I think that will be a relatively safe place to go. Uh, I'm also drawn uh, uh, to Imperial Tobacco. Now, you may say that's rather unethical, but yes, it is. Um, but it is a uh, tobacco businesses should be pretty attractive investments. Uh, for various reasons, I think it's inevitable that imps will cut uh, uh, or halve its dividend, uh, but that is already discounted in the share price. And then going forward, you have a, a business which is not affected by coronavirus and should just be a good cash generator, uh, improving its dividend from a rebased level. Uh, so that's one to go for. Uh, maybe I wouldn't be putting all of my money in on day one. Uh, I think it's money that should be dribbled into the market over the next two or three months. But there are attractive opportunities out there. I'm sure we could look at other ones. Unilever uh, is a company which uh, a, a, a reader of mine I've known for many, many years, uh, one of the few stockbrokers I trust, uh, suggests I should have a look at. So there are a number of companies which on days of weakness, one might be starting to look uh, to buy. And generally, it's in the FTSE 350, where you're going to have the lower risk value plays more apparent. Anyhow, more ideas on that. Uh, perhaps uh, uh, you'll discover a few more ideas uh, uh, on May the 8th. Am I giving it away what I'm going to do? Well, you'll find out sooner or later. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Share Profits Radio. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to Open Orphan uh, for sponsoring us. Remember to follow them on Twitter, at Open Orphan. Uh, and if you did enjoy uh, Share Profits Radio and you don't subscribe to Share Profits, stop being so tight-fisted. It's only five ninety-nine a month. Half a packet of Lou Roll at a price-gouging corner store. What more could you want? Uh, seven bear casts a week. Uh, uh, 65, oh, no, how about how many other articles? Uh, nine times seven, what is that? Uh, uh, t- other articles a week. Uh, 63 uh, other articles a week uh, on a range of subjects. Uh, some buy tips, mainly exposés uh, of wrongdoing in the world of finance. And it is great value. Uh, so support investigative journalism, sign up to Share Profits today, and I will really do my best to be back with another edition of Share Profits Radio in a week's time uh, 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 at this place. Thank you for listening.